0: perfect i've got my tea the women mind the water podcast engages artists in conversation about their work and explores their connection with the ocean Uh through these stories women mind the water hopes to inspire and encourage action to protect the ocean and her creatures Today, I am speaking with Asher J, who is a visual artist with a passion for the planet and the diversity of her creatures. Asher holds a bachelor of fine arts in fashion design from Parsons School of Design. She has created work for well such well-known names as Prada, Adidas, Mission Blue, and Wild Aid. In 2012, Asher was named a United Nations Women Design Star, and in 2014. She was designated an Emerging Explorer by National Geographic. Asher has two permanent exhibits at the National Geographic Encounter in Times Square. One is a soundscape installation inspired by Sting's song, Message in a Bottle. It consists of 365 decorated plastic bottles intended to make an ocean of dishes. Welcome, Asher. Thank you for being here today. I am pleased that you are able to join me. And grateful to Dr. Wallace J. Nichols and Blue Mind fame for introducing us. Asher. Real pleasure to be here. Thank you for saying so. Asher, what inspired you to become an artist?
1: I think when I was younger, I always saw visual media as an immediately responsive way to connect to life and the world around. And I was just a very tactile, sensorially oriented little tot and whatever I could get my hands into or on was what I gravitated towards so whether I was playing in the mud and sculpting just the outdoors uh just raw earth or and I was one of those fortunate kids that actually got to have an outdoor lifestyle growing up you know I got to play in the mud touch the earth which I think a lot of children these days are deprived of because they get behind their screens and um, because of that I, I just realized that everything around me could be connected with in a very personal hands-on way and I could change the way things looked by touching them and sculpting them and moving them around and that's sort of what brought me into the creative expression space because you know the earth does that daily you know whether it's rivers sculpting through lands or whether it's the ocean moving silt around the ocean floor or the currents moving the way you know that we scatter ourselves on its surface everything is always moving and shaping itself and the things around it and I figured the best way to be a part of that schematic of life that flow of being was to create and participate and so I began creating with initially literally just mud in the backyard I used to doodle a lot on sand and in, in the sandpit um and uh, as I grew up I realized you know I could play with crayons and other materials that my mother availed me and as I grew up I just realized it was something I was very good at instinctually and inherently and that I took a lot of zen pleasure in. it just makes me feel very present and um, um, meditative and, and mindful and quiet it gives me a certain tranquility that I don't acquire through any other way of uh, Output So I think creativity has always been my way of meditation and connection to life.
0: So I can strongly relate to what you're saying about the changes that are constantly going on and playing in the mud because I live in Maine and I live on a cove and it's very tidal. I mean, when I first moved here um, and people were saying, you know, your cove is tidal, what they meant was you get mud twice a day. Um, and the mud is, <laughs> changes all the time, and we have people who come to clam, and so they—it's almost like they're building sandcastles. So I can really relate
1: to what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, and it's—you know—if you don't look at it as a negative, which like nature, it's just always dynamic and expressive, and sometimes it can be torrential and explosive and extreme and sort of disastrous to our way of doing things. It can be disruptive, but other times. It can be something that allows for co-creation or moments of true connection where you meet halfway. And so I think, you know, we are the ones who put labels on it, but if we don't put labels on it, it's all part of the experience of just being on this fragile, highly volatile, highly emulative experience uh, and biosphere that like is constantly creating and putting things out there and changing the way things are so it's, it's a very dynamic state and I think we like a certain continuity and consistency which nature is not about it's about you know just raw unfiltered unabandoned expression and that can go any which way and I think we are very about being systematic and stable and we curate our lawns and put everything into a state of landscaping and that's just a way of us saying this is how much we want to express our dominion and that's not really what real creation is about. Real creation is a lot more raw and uh, unfettered So I think, you know, if you're truly trying to be creative in that state, it's very organic and it's what comes through you. It's not just what comes out of you um, based on what you've thought, because it's not as rational. It's more intuitive and it's more in the flow state. And that's, um, that's why I seldom take credit for anything I've created. Because when I'm creating, I almost get them as like visions. I only see the finished piece and then it just flows through me. Mm -hmm. So I almost feel like it's been given to me to translate and it's not it's not something I've come up with uh, just from my own mind space, you know? So I, I don't like being the, I think it's a co act of co-creation. I don't like being the one to say that I solely thought of it because I think it comes through you. Um, And I like that
0: idea of co-creation. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it seems you were driven to tell stories with powerful messages. What experiences in your life have motivated you to tell such stories?
1: I've always been very passionate about wildlife and nature. It's been a part of every single thing I've done since I was born. I think the first book I was introduced to was a coffee table book about deep sea creatures, and I was just captivated by the black double page spreads with deep sea alien looking beings that I was. I couldn't believe I shared the same space with that. I was living in this in this in this uh, ecosystem that would also have these other living beings that look so different from me and had such comp- different ways of uh, interacting with its immediate environment and context. Um, and so I just, I, I've always had this great fascination for things that were different and then finding points of similarity and connection with them. And so from that young age, from the first time I saw that coffee table book, I've always wanted to um, speak out for them, share that fascination and magic with others, Um, And find ways to preserve that magic so the next generation can also be born to connect with and know of these beings that you can share time and space with. So I think it's a rare privilege that we often take for granted and can be out of sight, out of mind about. But it is something that if we don't make conscious effort to protect, we'll stand to lose forever. So
0: sometimes powerful messages uh, have negative reactions. So I'm wondering, have you experienced resistance to your artwork? For example, have you ever encountered a problem uh, with uh, displaying them in a public setting?
1: Yes, I think there's always going to be mixed opinions about anything you put out there. And that's the beauty of humanity. We're a very complex species and can seldom find consensus on anything that comes from the mind. That's why I think emotion is a greater way to connect to a larger audience. I also think sensorial input allows for less conclusive messages and therefore everybody can get a little bit of something from the content that you're putting out. So I really find that art is more of a fostering, bridging, um, medium conduit than uh say a story that's written up or looking at data and statistics that have been visualized because even with that it's it's sort of fact in in a way where it's it's conclusive to many minds and the minute you feed a conclusion to somebody they're resistant to it based on what they previously know and that can be disinformation they might know something tro- totally false but if they believe that to be true within themselves then they will fight you every step of the way in assimilating this new input that challenges what they believe to be true within themselves and so if you're challenging thought patterns and people have come to align those thought patterns as a sense of self as an identity then what you're challenging is not just what they're thinking but who they inherently are and so that results in a lot of friction i've always been mind- to create works that allow people to step in at their own pace in their own way based on what they do previously know and I'm often looking at people who are not in the know and trying to reach them at uh, in, in a language and at a space that is comfortable welcoming and um, accepting of their current state of what we could qualify as ignorance, but it is a current state of not knowing what it is that you're trying to enlighten them about. Um, so if you're really mindful and inclusive in your approach, then I think people are less uh, likely to fight you to the nail about it. Uh, I've seen that far more so now moving from Manhattan, New York City to Montana, where it's a completely different demographic than what I was raised in and been used yeah. to.
0: So what are your steps in selecting a message and the medium as an artist
1: to bring that message to life? I think it starts with looking at the issue that you are passionate about, your personal orientation to it. If the problem can be articulated in the simplest, most cohesive way. And once that design problem has been framed, within that lies the answer. And so it already drafts the solutions that you want to visualize or get people to visualize by looking at the problem set very, very starkly. And then, of course, you know what is the cultural, what's the cultural context or the um, society into which you're interjecting that message. So you, it has to be expressed in a way through motifs, through colors, in a way that is conducive to that particular demographic and that cultural context that milieu and so um that's something i calibrate for extensively um for instance in china when i did that uh, whole campaign on blood ivory and rhino horn i had to make sure i chose the right shade of red if i chose the wrong shade of red it would actually suggest prosperity like go kill more rhinos go kill more elephants as opposed to saying don't do this you know so i think it matters how you uh what what uh, elements and motifs you use to communicate your core message and then finally i would say embed emotional triggers because people are emotional creatures they come to you because they care not because they thought things through and the data added up and they got the numbers like that's seldom the real reason why we care passionately that passion comes from feeling not from thinking and so I always urge people to feel more and think less (laughs) and come from that hard space um, so that yeah, well, you know, how do you get someone who's never put their foot in the ocean to feel the mag, the magnanimity and like the graciousness with which the ocean em- engulfs and embraces your body when you start walking into it? You can't bring that alive for someone that has never experienced that unless you show them through feeling. It's not a thought that makes you feel that level of suspension and immersion in something so much larger than you. And so I think you know you bring things alive by. Sh- sharing the experiential quality by immersing them in the emotional state of being with that um, living breathing thing and the ocean is living and breathing uh, we might think of it as like just a water resource but it's not it's not something you can just continually extract from because it not only sustains all this life but it's also you know, constantly changing in its own chemistry and state of being. So I think uh, we we don't really get ocean when we think of it as just our body of water that we can go and recreate.
0: Wow, I really feel your passion. So can you tell me a story about a particular piece of artwork that reflects on the ocean? And when you're discussing that work, can you describe it for those who are listening to an audio-only version of the podcast?
1: Sure, I created the um, uh, the this particular work on the whale shark, and I think it's called Night Sky Fallen Night Sky. Yeah, Fallen Night Sky. Uh, I don't remember the titles of my own work because I don't remember things for squat. But that's just my brain. Um, but I'll tell you this: uh, when I created that work, I was, you know, the first encounter I had with a whale shark. I couldn't believe the size of its mouth. it's a filter feeder, and when it was like swimming up toward me and it opened to engulf all this phytoplankton suspended in the water column, it was just uh awe-inspiring because you can see this creature coming at you but it's so it's mindful of you but it's doing its own thing It, it just needs the space to be whale shark and so you know every time you're dancing in the water with it and moving around it you're actually creating that space for it to just be and you're not infringing upon that and I think when we do it In an unsustainable way, which I also saw on that trip with ecotourism, there were too many boats on the water, some of the propellers were cutting these whale sharks. Um, And I wanted to communicate, and the worst part of it was to see the microfilaments and the oil slicks and the debris from the boat and the litter in the water column that the whale shark was also consuming every time it opened its colossal mouth and um, I wanted to bring all that alive in a work and so I did a composite where I pieced together from all the debris I collected along the the shores where the whale sharks are residents too uh, in the water and so I collected everything from the shoreline and created this composite image of a whale shark to show that you know what what you eat is how you are and so its state of life is compromised when it's serving out plastic debris instead of phytoplankton as its primary diet. Um, And that is something we should be morally conscious of and should be stewards at the helm steering the ship very differently than we are at present. And so um, it was just a way for me to make people more mindful of their littering, their garbage footprint and packaging footprint on a daily basis. And the fact that, you know, what you do in a geographical location far removed from maybe Isla Mujeres or Holbox can still have impact on those whale sharks living in that area. So um, I urge both tourists and individuals living everywhere to be super conscious of what they take into their households and where they put their wallets. Um, Because what you spend your money on is will have you showing up for the world around you as a consumer.
0: So how is your art an expression of you and your view of your world?
1: My art is a way for me to show that I am uh, receptive to what the world wants me to convey to whoever is receptive in that moment to the way in which it's asking to be conveyed, if that makes sense. So, like, I, I know what comes through me in a moment is meant to come through me for a specific audience, and it goes out of me to reach that audience in the language at which they will definitely receive that message. So it, it always translates, because, again, it's not coming just from me where I go home and I think, oh, now I'm going to go create a whale shark work. I'm just doing my thing. Like, you know, I could just be living my life. And then, then all of a sudden I get obsessed. Like I, it'll just hit me like a tent, like, 10 ton brick and the head and it, it's all I can think about you know it's occupied my whole existence until all I see is this whale shark that's being suspended and I have to create it if it doesn't come out of me then it's almost like being selfish and withholding of what is being asked of me in that moment if that if that feels if that makes sense because sometimes yeah. I speak artist yeah. and it could just be lost in translation but um but yeah I feel like some it's like humbling because it's something bigger is being asked of you and how can you not give that of yourself because you know when i go out in nature i'm receiving so much i'm so fostered i feel so um expanded and Uh, I reclaim so much of my being, especially when I'm in the ocean. Like, I cannot explain the magic of diving. Like, if I could just have fins and a gill, I would be underwater all the time. I resent Little Mermaid for giving up her fins for her feet. (laughs) Like, it's the stupidest decision ever. But anyway, if if I could rewrite that story, I would put her back in the water and give her the freedom she should have had. um, Instead of being an underaged All right. So you would give the little mermaid
0: the, the uh, (laughs) advice to keep her fins. Um, What can I speak
1: to all of my life? Um, But yeah. So like, I, you know, I think, I think it's just a matter of like when my work comes out of me, it's because I care so extensively and it brings out so much in me uh, that is positive that I have to give back, you know, and I think that is the moral responsibility of every storyteller and creator out there uh, to give back because when you're out in nature and you're inspired to take a photograph when you're taking an excerpt or video, that clip comes from a spontaneous moment that is being orchestrated by life. Mm -hmm. And it is therefore your responsibility to ensure the perpetuity of that life. Uh, To not give back means you're amputating the chain of paying it forward. Um, And if nature is giving to you, how can you not give back to nature? It need not be to the exact same ecosystem. It need not be to that specific animal that you've captured, but it should be to the larger context that protects and preserves that being for another day. Um, And so I think for as an artist, that's been my value system, integrity, and moral responsibility is to always find ways to give back to that which has fostered me.
0: Right. So what advice would you give to others who wish to express their passion for the environment?
1: it's never too early to start. You can start right now. So don't hold off for another minute, for another day, for a better moment, for a time when things are more conducive, to earn more money so then you can give back more to charity. Stop procrastinating. Start now because you know things are waiting for you to show up. Things are waiting for your voice to speak out for them because their voice is being eclipsed. So I think it is our responsibility to be conscious of that, that that burden we bear, the cross we bear, from having the colossal footprint that we have on this planet. So, Asher, I don't think you would
0: do what you do if you didn't think that art had the power to move people. But do you think that art can move a person to engage with the world in a more positive way?
1: Absolutely, yeah. It is a power, it's a, a, a weapon of mass construction. You know, I think it allows for people to come together. It allows for people to see and personalize it to their own context, to internalize it in a way that they could have never um, expressed that within themselves. Uh, it's almost like you give them the building blocks to create that context or sentence within themselves um, through which they can say, hey, I care. And so it's a way of empowering how they can show up you know like i my art is actually used a lot in protests and demonstrations and things like that too uh, for actual campaigning and so i've seen my 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 work being printed on placards and posters and banners and being carried by seven year old kids or being tattooed onto a person's back because that's how deeply they identify with the with the content and the layout and the visual expression of something so yeah, I think art's deeply personal I think it's very intimate it's a, A a conscious language that can be deployed intentionally to allow people to feel a true moment of connection to life at large to feel a part of instead of apart from life on earth
0: all right Uh, let's talk afterwards i'll do the outtake and um, we'll go from there thanks i'd like to remind our listeners that i've been speaking with asher j the women mind the water podcast series This series can be viewed on WomenMindTheWater.com. An audio-only version of this podcast is available on the Women Mind the Water website, iTunes, and Spotify. Women Mind the Water is grateful to Jane Rice for her song, Women of Water. All rights for the Women Mind the Water name and logo belong to Pam Ferris Olson. This is Pam Ferris Olson. Thank you for listening.